welcome to the Anishinaabe History Podcast. I'm Chris Waite. Today we're looking at some events from the year 1906. In Canada, Wilfrid Laurier was Prime Minister. He served as Prime Minister for 15 consecutive years, from 1896 to 1911. During that time, Laurier appointed 12 Justices of the Supreme Court. In Britain, the Liberal Party won a majority government, but Edward VII was nevertheless King of England and Ireland, as well as Emperor of India. In Europe, the world had not yet seen the destruction of World War I, but Nicholas II was Tsar of Russia, and Wilhelm II was Emperor of Germany. Elsewhere in Europe, before World War I had yet to occur, the King of Belgium, King Leopold II, claimed the Congo as his personal property. Interestingly, Belgium and Britain created a mining company, Union Minière du Haut Katanga, in what is now the Democratic Republic of Congo. Theodore Roosevelt was President of the United States. Also in 1906, the Hydroelectric Power Commission of Ontario, HEPCO, was established, which eventually became Ontario Hydro. HEPCO was created by statute of the province of Ontario, an act to provide for the transmission of electrical power to municipalities. The Electrical Power Act allowed for the Lieutenant Governor and Council to appoint a three-person commission, as well as the chairman of that commission. Being on the commission was a paid position. Municipal corporations were able to apply to the commission so that their respective municipalities could have electrical power. As part of the application, the commission would provide an estimate to the municipal corporation as to the cost of the infrastructure required to bring electrical power to any given municipality. The municipal corporation could then enter into a contract with the commission. Electors in each municipality would then be allowed to vote for their respective municipal corporation to enter into contracts with the provincial commission. Remember that in 1906, not everybody had the right to vote. When Wilfrid Laurier was elected in 1896, the voting franchise was returned to provincial control. Many provinces had explicit exclusions based on race. Each province had exclusions based on gender. By the year 1900, however, after protests from female suffragists, property-owning women in some cities in Canada had won the right to vote in municipal matters such as school and library boards. But in 1906, even white women in Canada were fighting for their equal right to full enfranchisement. Similarly, but not surprisingly, Aboriginal people in Canada were not fully enfranchised until 1960, half a century after the establishment of HEPCO. Remember that Native people were coerced and cajoled onto reservations long before the establishment of HEPCO, and because Native people living on reserves had no right to vote, they could not participate in early infrastructure projects such as HEPCO. Deep into the 20th century, there was still racist legislation being enacted in Canada to continue to stymie participation in socio-economic and geopolitical matters. For instance, in 1905, Saskatchewan and Alberta were brought into Canadian Confederation. What choice did First Nations have with regards to Confederation? None. 
Likewise, in 1906, the Mines Act was enacted, quote, which gave prospectors exclusive rights to stake and work upon designated crown lands not otherwise in use, end quote. The notion that lands were not being used was, I believe, propaganda for justifying land appropriation. Indeed, even under the Dominion Franchise Act of 1934, status Indians living on reserve were explicitly barred from voting in municipal, provincial, or federal elections. 1934! This was after treaties had been signed, after natives had been relocated onto reservations, after the mandatory attendance to residential schools, and even after Native men had fought for the Allies in World War I. Back in 1906, when HEPCO was established, the Lieutenant Governor in Council of Ontario would have to approve the contracts between municipalities and the Provincial Commission. The Lieutenant Governor in Council would also have to give approval to the Commission to enter into contracts with any railway company that electrical infrastructure might happen to overlap with. Were Indian reservations considered as municipalities in 1906? No. Indian reservations are still not considered as municipalities, nor are they considered politically as sovereign nations, nor are they provinces or territories. They are Indian reservations. This is why it has taken so long to connect some First Nations to the mainstream electrical grid. The old laws of 19th and 20th century Canada have been major obstacles. How many of these laws have changed, and when? Has approval yet been given to bring electricity to remote First Nations? After much political effort, yes. Recently, partway through the 21st century, electrical power lines are finally being built to finally bring electricity to places like Pekanjikum. Up until now, such places, and Pekanjikum wasn't the only one, relied upon diesel power generating stations for electricity. Diesel is expensive to fly into a community in the far north that does not have road accessibility, and there are no pipelines. Electricity, literally, is power. And now we have it. That's all for today's episode. Stay tuned for more episodes in the future. I'm Chris Waite, and this has been the Anishinaabe History Podcast. <laughs>